Sports Talk Saturday on WGR Sports Radio 550. Let me be the first to tell you good afternoon. Officially the noon hour here in Buffalo. That means UB football kicking off now uh, in just a few moments. They're facing Coastal Carolina, the 16th ranked team in the nation. Uh, again, you can hear that over at the Bet 1520, our sister station. But first for us on this side, I'm going to go to the West Her Hotline now because Locked On Bills host Joe Marino joins me on the West Her Hotline to talk some Bills and, and maybe recap, put a bow on last week and, and officially turn our attention to the Miami Dolphins. Joe, good afternoon to you, my friend. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nate. Hope you're doing well. I am, and uh, same to you and your family. I know uh, I know things have been pretty hectic for you as football season starts. We appreciate you taking a little time out to uh, to talk some ball with us. I had an opportunity, Joe, to go back and and watch some film um, and, 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 and use pro football focus and look at some of the grades to try to match up some of the things on film. And, you know, I may not always agree with pro football focus and their grades. Hard to argue what they put together after that game last week for the offensive line. Are you – I said this yesterday on, on Food for Thought. It's a, a podcast that, that Bruce Nolan and I do. And he asked me if I was really what willing to panic yet about the Bills' offensive line. And I said absolutely because this is the same unit that did the same things last year in the playoffs um, in the AFC Championship game. It's the one singular thing that I believe absolutely held that offense back. And they basically ran back the same group, Joe. Uh, what is your level of panic um, for this Bills' offensive line? What did you see on film that, that maybe would suggest if you're not ready to panic, you know, what are those reasons why? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I obviously the offensive line had their share of struggles against Pittsburgh, and there were plenty of one-on-one battles that were lost. And I will say that it was a game plan where the Bills were really willing to not max protect and, and really just do five-man protections. I think there was only a handful of snaps where they actually used running backs in in the uh, in the game to pass block, and so that put a lot on the Bills' offensive line a unit that that combination has never played together. You've never seen those guys in those spots playing together. You have Deion Dawkins kind of working back from COVID, uh, John Feliciano adjusting to a new weight, uh, Cody Ford really, you know, he's entering the season healthy after working back for, from some injuries, and that's a tough assignment. And So I think you can definitely put a lot into last week's game, understand the game plan, recognize that there were issues, but – I mean, I thought the Bills kind of had an average offensive line to begin with, and I thought they were probably better pass blockers than they were run blockers, but I think you had just a a combination of things married together for the Bills to uh, struggle with pass blocking last week. And so, you know, Miami's got some reasonable pass rushers this week. It's not the same caliber of, of challenges, but I feel like every single time that I've seen Brian Dable go up against really good defensive linemen, whether that's Chris Jones, whether that's Aaron Donald, uh, think about Miles Garrett back in 2019 with the Browns, Joey Bosa with the uh, with the Chargers, and then, of course, you had Hayward and uh, Watt and Ingram. And, you know, it doesn't feel like he's ever willing to do anything to help his offensive linemen, and that his counter is always, well, we'll just put more guys out in pass routes, and that'll give more options mm. for Josh Allen to get the ball out of his hands. And I think Josh Allen has to have a, a, a more willingness to take those answers. And I felt like he chased the, the throws that he missed early in the game, the deep shots down the field, and he, he wanted them back all throughout the game. And he wasn't willing to take yeah. that philosophy that Brian Dable was giving him and said, hey, look, we're not going to leave Singletary in to, to, to block, but you, you can throw it to him. And I don't think Josh Allen did enough of that to help 
the overall game plan on Sunday. How much of you know that game plan of of basically riding and dying by fa- five man um, you know blocking schemes up front? Like how much of that had to do with their not necessarily dominance, but maybe overconfidence in Daryl Williams being able to handle T.J. Watt one-on-one considering the performance he had last year. Like, is that in the back of Brian Dable's mind when he's making this game plan and maybe deciding, you know what, like, we've got a guy that we know can handle T.J. Watt one-on-one. Maybe it's a little fluky, but we believe that, you know, we paid him money, that he can sit on an island out there. And do you believe that's part of the reason that, that maybe we saw that the unwillingness to, to maybe bring some help down below? Well, I think you had a miscalculation from Brian Dable and not being more prepared for less blitzes from the Pittsburgh Steelers, where I think last week or last year against Buffalo when these two teams played, it was one of the most blitz aggressive games that the Pittsburgh defense had all season. And they were a blitz aggressive defense and they barely blitzed against Buffalo. And so I think part of this idea of we're not going to give you six- and seven-man protections. We're going to block them up with five and give you more answers uh, throwing the football in terms of guys on routes and using your eligibles as pass catchers. Pittsburgh said, okay, yeah, well, we're going to drop seven and eight guys, and there's just not going to be any space to fit the football. And so they were willing to take some matchup um, disadvantages where you saw Joe Schobert covering guys like Gabriel Davis. I mean, you saw some, some, some matchup opportunities, but the Bills – offensive line didn't hold up and and Josh Allen wasn't able to consistently take advantage of that Joe how much to and this will kind of be my last question on this and we can move on how much of the game plan on how they were protecting and and maybe unwilling to adapt to the game plan that that was happening in real time happened because there was no Zach Moss in the lineup do you believe that if Zach Moss is active and in the lineup that he has a bigger impact on the game and is a guy that they're bringing in to block or do you believe that Zach Moss no Zach Moss the game plan does not change yeah I really don't think it changes and I think that's been a common talking point throughout the course of the week as everyone's reflected on this game is like well, if this is the Zach Moss Zach. thing. Yeah, no, I totally yeah, agree. Yeah, not they. I think the team has confidence in Devin Singletary as a pass blocker. I do too. Of course they do. They wouldn't address him. They he wouldn't have been the the featured back if they didn't believe that he can pass block. If you listen to Dable and McDermott talk about running backs, the first thing they typically mention is what they can do in pass protection, like block who you're supposed to block, gain yards, and catch football when it's thrown to you. I don't think any there's anything different. You can debate whether or not Zach Moss should have dressed and how he could have helped the team, but I don't think that they were going to pivot and use backs more in pass protection if the, if Zach Moss dressed or he didn't. You know, Joe, I, 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 I kind of continue to go back to this idea that there's now like a script or there's there the 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 jury's out on this on this Bills offense and how to stop it and it's you rush four you rush three and you drop back seven and eight how many realistic teams are there on the Bills schedule and beyond in this league that can really have the success the Pittsburgh Steelers had doing that exact script that exact game plan against this Bills offense with the same level of success I would be willing to bet five ten percent of the league yeah, small number, and this was, I think we're forgetting so much of last year where the season started off and the question on Josh Allen was, can he beat man coverage if we just go zero high safety blitz? Can he find answers and beat man coverage? Well, he did. And then everybody pivoted, and they started playing zone against Josh. And Josh was perfectly fine. He had an MVP season. He torched San Francisco, a team that did things just like that, good defensive personnel. I mean, it happened week after week after week. 
I think this is an entire overreaction to Josh Allen playing the Pittsburgh Steelers pretty much exactly how he did last year, except for that game came in the middle of Josh Allen having an MVP season and didn't come at the beginning of the season in Buffalo, first game with fans back. Everybody's picking the Bills to go to the Super Bowl. Everyone's picking Josh Allen to be the MVP. And it feels different because of the context surrounding Mm. the game. I think the Bills have the right opponent this week against the Miami Dolphins for Josh Allen to remind everyone of uh, the type of player that he is. Locked on Bills host uh, Joe Marino here joining me on the Western Hotline talking a little bit, putting a bow on that Steelers game last week. And Joe, uh, kind of my, my my final thought here of that matchup last week, and we, we talked a little bit about the offensive line. We talked a little bit about you know whether or not that the game plan changes based on the running back, which is a weird, by the way, a, a weird talking point, and one I've seen kind of regularly. Based on the fact this team doesn't, really feature and or utilize the running back why you know whether or not their their second running back was active or not changes a game plan I think it's just a really weird out of touch talking point that I just I just don't tend to agree with but I do wonder um you know on the outside Joe that I kind of talked about pregame that that Pittsburgh Steeler defensive backfield just not impressing me at all, um, short of Minka Fitzpatrick, who, you know, is, if not the best safety in the league, he's right up there. Um, but outside of him, like, Joe Hayden's on the absolute last legs of his career. And yet, I, I at no point did I feel like that Bills wide receiving group really was able to take any advantage of that. Now, I, I thought that obviously zone coverage can disguise some of the athletic um, or some of you know some of these veterans like Joe Hayden on the last legs of his career. You can you can disguise them and hide them in a lot of covered four and cover two shell looks. But in your opinion, should the Bills wide receivers had a better day against that group? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good place to take this conversation and, and I've I think there's a, a fair amount of blame to spread around for the Bills' offense against Pittsburgh. Part of that's to Brian Dable. Part of it's the offensive line. Part of it's to Josh Allen. But part of it's to the wide receivers, where you expect them to just go win a route a little bit more frequently than they did. And, you know, I I, I think about the Emmanuel Sanders shot play that Josh Allen overthrew him, and that was a good example of a receiver going out and winning a route. You just didn't see that happen enough. And when you can drop seven and eight guys in pass coverage, you can – really reduce the amount of space and real estate that they're they're responsible for defending and you can kind of overcome um you know a, a lack of secondary talent in terms of coverage by just not asking them to do that much and uh allowing you to space out your pass defense differently and you could squeeze routes with very minimal real estate that you have to recover and get back to your landmark so i mean a genius game plan by pittsburgh and uh, I do think that you bring up a good point there in bringing up those receivers and you need to be able to win a route sometime and just get open. And that just didn't happen enough for the Bills on Sunday. And maybe too, Joe, I wonder if all of us, myself, the national media is probably even more guilty of this. I, did we all bury the Pittsburgh Steelers too soon? Like, Did we call them for dead and was that just – was that a mistake, and was that premature on our part? I, I don't think there's any doubt that Ben Roethlisberger, if this team is going to rely on their offense to score points, I, I they won't be a playoff team. But if that defense can carry the way and the offense can just sort of stay out of the way and try to feature Najee Harris better, I 
that that was a, a a real interesting aspect of that game for me, Joe, is Najee Harris played 100% of their snaps and, I mean, had almost no impact on that game. Like, did was it too quick to bury them, I guess, is the question. Um, bury them in terms of them being a reasonable football team that can compete for a 500 record, yes. I don't think this is a team that's going to win playoff games. And their script is tough, Nate. I mean, you saw Ben Roethlisberger. He played bad in that game. He was missing throws left and right early on. He's so limited in terms of the mobility and yeah. the arm talent. And because of that, you just you don't have to defend the entire field. You don't. He's not going to get outside the pocket. He's not going to extend plays. And he doesn't have that ability to really push the ball down the field with any type of consistency. So if you're going to tell me that your your script, your script to win football games is going to be relying on a below-average offensive line to make space for Najee Harris uh, with a very limited quarterback, I think that's tough. And I think you saw their script. They're going to play tough defense. They need some type of miscellaneous thing to happen, like a punt block for a touchdown, and for their offense to not beat themselves, to not turn the ball over. And that's their script, and and it's football in the year 2021. That's that's not going to win you a ton of games. And so – I think that this was an example of Pittsburgh coming in and having an entire you know, six, seven months to prepare for the Bills offense, being able to do some very creative things with their coverage spacing, and I don't think they'll be able to replicate that week after week. Do I think they can win eight, nine, ten games? Yes. But I don't think that they're a team that you look at if you have to face in the postseason and say, oh, man, that's a tough out. I think they have a tough script that they have to rely on to win football games based on the makeup of that roster. Joe Marino here on the Wester Hotline. He is the host of Locked on Bills. He's also uh, an analyst over at the Draft Network, does a great job over there um, with lots of mock drafts that uh, you may not be asking for, but you don't know you need until you actually watch them live, <laughs> by the way, and then you're like, oh, inject this into my veins. Um, Joe, Joe I, last thing I kind of want to talk about here before we really move on and talk about the Miami Dolphins is Matt Breida. You know, this is a guy that has sort of been touted as the lightning for the thunder of, you know, Zach Moss and, and Devin Singletary. We watched in that final, or in, in the preseason anyways, when Isaiah McKenzie was out, that Breida sort of took on that role as sort of the gadget player, jet sweeps, getting him in space. I just had maybe had taken for granted and assumed, Joe, that this was a guy that they were going to manufacture three, four, five touches for in a game just to try to get him in space and get him in a foot race. And they really, I don't know if the game plan had just changed based on them being down. Do you believe if the Bills are up for a better part of that second half that we see more uh, like more of a concerted effort to get him in space and 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 sort of let him do his thing cuz I just I I don't I guess I don't see the value in playing him and keeping him active if they're not going to, you know, make 3 4 5 plays for him a game. Yeah, I thought that was something that surprised me as well if you're going to, you know, make him part of your active roster and what we saw in preseason and the perceived talent that he has, I I thought it would be a bigger part of what happens and you know, obviously the fourth and one call to him, that was probably something that was very much on the mind of Sean McDermott and Brian Dable when he was part of the you know, the, the active roster, and they probably really had that in their bag and wanted to use it at some point. They did. It wound up being a pretty embarrassing play. Uh, he did play two phases of special teams, which we always have to talk about. Like, that's why he dressed. Uh, Zach Moss isn't going to help you on any phases of special teams. So from, from that perspective, from giving them the option of speed in the backfield – uh, that's why the decision was made, but since it was made in that way, you, you'd like to think maybe a more concerted effort to get him some manufactured touches, some space touches, 
and see if he can win with that speed. But uh, that, as the game evolved, it just didn't happen. Joe, I don't know if you had a chance yet to break down that Patriots and Dolphins game last week. A lot of the the discourse around that game was, well, the Dolphins finally got that monkey off their back. They finally uh, they, they, they finally go head-to-head with the Patriots and they win, and Tua isn't the reason that they lose. I, I guess I just get to a point, Joe, where I watch that game, and I think there's a stretch run where Tua goes for one for like nine, throws that interception, and essentially throws the game away, but due to a Damon Harris fumble – they're sort of that almost gets forgotten about. How how unimpressed or impressed were you by Tua's performance last week? And 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 just how much? Well, I, I'm really interested. In the next phase of this question is you and I are going to really kind of deep, dig deep into this RPO discussion and how they're deploying it and how it's sort of disguising some of the limitations Tua has as a thrower. But in that game, Joe, does that not just really sort of encapsulate? who Tua is right now as an NFL quarterback. And I think, unfortunately for Dolphins fans, who I believe he's going to be um, in sort of moving into the future as well. Yeah, I think that's fair, Nate. I mean, Tua, Tua didn't do anything. If you were a skeptic of Tua, he didn't do anything on Sunday that's going to make you come off that in any way, shape, or form. And, and in a lot of ways, that moment where he threw the, the interception, it was the Oh boy! Yeah, <laughs> there it is. That yep. was the one you couldn't give him. And you know, it was a situation where turnover wasn't able to uh, um, you know, allow the Patriots to cap the win. And then obviously they had their own struggles inside the the red zone where they moved the football really, really well. But Mac Jones and some of his limitations as a football player manifested themselves in the red zone, where you know that's where you need that mobility. That's where you need the arm talent. He couldn't put it in the end zone. So it'll be interesting yep. to see how the red zone packages for the Patriots evolve here to account for that lack of physical talent and traits that he's missing. But um, you know, I, I do think, I mean, the best thing that Tua did at Alabama was the RPO and the ball handling at the mesh point and those decisions. I mean, that's, that's where he shines with those, those quick, get the ball out of your hands, make quick decisions, handle the ball. Well, very clean mechanics, uh, consistent, those types of things. And when he gets the ball out in under two and a half seconds, I mean, for his career, he's got a 101 passer rating. Well, when he keeps the ball in his hands for longer than two and a half seconds, it goes into the 60s. And we're talking like a 40-point drop in passer rating when he holds on to the football for more than two and a half seconds. And so that's the thing. Can can Tua develop enough as a progression-style passer? Can he find consistency when that first read isn't available? Because Steve Sarkeesian at Alabama – is the best play caller and best offensive designer of, of the passing game in college football. And, and Tua didn't have to come off of his first read because it was always available. And now it's not the case, right? And so uh, NFL defenses are more creative. They're just better. There's more talent. And um, it's exposing some of what those issues were with Tua Tungabalula. So his ability to evolve in that capacity is going to be critical. And, you know, I think that, this, the, the not having Will Fuller is going to change things because when you have when you go 11 personnel and put Jalen Waddle, Will Fuller, yeah. Devontae Parker, and Mike Gusecki on the field, you've got a really ridiculous blend of speed and power, right? Like speed to take off the roof with Fuller and, and Waddle and then, you know, power forwards and Parker and Gusecki. And so it's just tough to match up with. Now you take off one of those vertical threats and the spacing isn't what you want. And, and that's why you want that spacing so that that first read could be available for Tua. So this Will Fuller situation 
you know, obviously whatever's going on with him, we wish all the best. I think that's first and foremost. But his his lack of availability for this week and, you know, and for what seems to be the foreseeable future, I think that really forces Miami to pivot their design of the offense yeah. based on what it could be with those those skill sets. I think it's a, a pretty notable thing that happened here for the Dolphins. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, and you know, say what you will about Will Fuller, like for me, I keep going back to the fact that when he's healthy, he is one of the most electric deep threats in the league. And and you can't really take that away from him as much as people want to because he's often, you know, on the IR or he's dealing with off the field issues. Not really. I mean, you know, he, he, he got suspended at the end of last year, missed the opening game this year. But I don't know. There There's this weird obsession about wanting to to knock Will Fuller, Joe, and I, I just really won't have it. Like, he he's a really good football player when he's healthy. Yeah, he is. I think Fuller had drops, right, at Notre Dame and, and kind of early in his career. And so I think that was always kind of lingering over his head. And then he just developed into this, you know, definitely a deep threat, but kind of a more all-around receiver. And you go back to Houston and the splits when he was on the field versus when he wasn't and just how much more effective Deshaun Watson was as a, as a quarterback with and without Fuller. I mean, you can never debate the impact that he makes when he's on the field. Now, if you want to bring in all the other – ancillary things to the conversation yeah definitely tosses a wet blanket over what fuller is and you know miami took a calculated risk giving him you know a little over 10 million dollars for the season to come in and and be uh, an answer for them and you know he's been shaky whether it's been off the field stuff or, or injury so that was a calculated choice that they made but um there's no denying that when he's on the field he's going to make any offense better and, and really give you more options and spacing you know really affects the spacing and you know, he's just a really good all-around talent. He's just not always available. Joe, maybe you can tell me this uh, because I was trying to figure out why Mike Isecki was essentially that team's third tight end last week. In terms of snaps, I think he was either second or third. I think he only played about 35% of the snaps for the offense last week. Do you expect that to change this week just based on his history against the Bills, having success against that defense? Or is there something else to play? Like, is he a liability? You can tell me better than, than, than I could because you likely followed him in his draft process, understood his strengths and weaknesses. Is he just like a liability as a, uh, as a run blocker and he just can't be on the field in those situations or or what do you believe is keeping him off the field and does that change this week in week two yeah I think we have to start recognizing Mike Gusecki as a slot receiver you know he, he's just not a guy that you want to play in line at all he couldn't block at Penn State he can't block in the NFL and so he's a big slot receiver and Miami wanted to roll out with plenty of 12 personnel last week and they've got uh, Durham Smythe, who they really like, or excuse me, Dalton, Durham Smythe, I get Schultz and Smythe always mixed up. They have him, who they really like, as an inline true tight end. They paid Seaton Carter. They drafted Hunter Long in the third round. They're telling you that they want more traditional inline tight ends to do their 12 personnel, and Mike Gusecki is a slot receiver. And so when you look at it through that lens, you know, it's it's unsurprising that he didn't get as many snaps as you would expect for a tight end, and I think was third in the NFL among tight ends in receiving yards last year. We've got to start recognizing him as a slot receiver. That's what he is, and he, he plays his best, it seems, against the Buffalo Bills. And I think Bills fans kind of have a skewed perception of him because he's always such a difficult matchup for Buffalo, but he tends to be a little bit more quiet in some of those other games. And um, in a game where they wanted to go more 12, 
And the fact that he doesn't give them in-line ability, I think that's what really limited him last week against the Patriots. Brian Flores is well aware of the success Kaseki's had against the Bills. I expect him to get plenty of targets from the slot on Sunday. All right, Joe, last thing before I let you go. i gotta, I got to throw the, the fastball at you. What are your thoughts? Are the Bills going to get back on track offensively this week? And as a follow-up question, how do you believe the Dolphins – do the Dolphins change what they've done, or are they just going to continue to say – we don't care that he that Josh Allen has had this previous success against our man and blitz schemes. We know what we do. We need to execute what we do better, and this isn't a problem with the scheme. It's a problem with the execution, and we're just going to run man and do what we do against this team and hope for a better result. Yeah, I mean, you go back to week two last year, and, and the injuries that they had at corner were pretty notable. I mean, Xavier Howard was still working back from injury. Byron Jones got hurt early in that game. They had Noah Igbenogany covering Stephon Diggs, you know, a lot of matchup issues last year for for Miami in that game, and so um, I, I think that they will play a bit more zone coverage. I think that they're probably really happy that they've signed Jalen Phillips or not signed Jalen. They drafted Jalen Phillips in the first round. He's got really exciting pass rush potential, and, and they signed Adam Butler as an interior pass rusher over from the Patriots. So they probably feel like they're better in terms of their ability to affect the quarterback and. You know, they've really overhauled their secondary in a lot of ways. Bobby McCain's gone, and the Bills picked on Bobby McCain. I mean, you guys remember that long touchdown pass to John Brown uh, to put the Bills up 10 late in the fourth quarter last year in week two? I mean, that was because Bobby McCain bit on a route and John Brown blew past him. You know, Bobby McCain's gone, and now that's Jason McCourty, who's had played in the NFL for a decade and is extremely smart. They've drafted Javon Holland out of Oregon in the second round, who's a versatile uh, defensive back that could play down in the slot. He could play one high safety. He could play split zones. And so they just they can just do more with their coverages. Uh, they, they've got more at slot with Nick Needham and Justin Coleman there. Um, Eric Rowe had kind of this more defined low safety, tight end eraser type player. And so, you know, we know that Brian Flores wants to replicate a lot of the New England stuff. And he's got the defensive backs that he's been trying to get, you know, piece together to play matchups and use guys in specific roles. Um, you know, Noah Benogany wasn't even active, active last week, a healthy scratch. So he's got that defensive personnel where he wants it, and that's going to give him more options for how he can play the Bills. So I think you're going to see them play it differently. They, they're going to like their pass rush more. I'm not sitting here saying that I don't think the Bills will come out and play well offensively, but there's enough new on this Miami Dolphins defense that, lends itself for me to believe that there's going to be a different look and feel for how they attack the Bills' offense on Sunday. All right, Joe. Uh, thank you so much, buddy. Um, and uh, tell the folks where they what, what kind of work you've got coming up on tap here, both at Locked On Bills and the Draft Network. Yeah, Locked On Bills, daily podcast on the Buffalo Bills. We, we get into all of it every day, so don't miss that. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It's definitely on the Odyssey app. And then, of course, uh, the draftnetwork.com, where – you know, writing stuff every single week and things that are interesting to me and you know, writing scouting reports on the prospects coming up for 2022, mock drafts, all the stuff all year round at thedraftnetwork.com. Awesome, Joe. Thank you so much, buddy, for making time for me on Saturday. Enjoy college football today and uh, enjoy the game tomorrow. We'll, uh, we'll be in short contact, I'm sure. All right, thanks, Nate. All right, Joe Marino there on the West Hotline again from Locked On Bills and the Draft Network. 